Hey, unfuckers, welcome into Show Notes. We're hanging here in the studio with 99 on another balmy summer day where it is disgusting outside because we are in the middle of an historic heat wave. We're cooking the planet, getting near that point, the point of no return. But we continue undaunted with our work here because maybe we can make things just a little better as we boil. Anyway, a couple of quick notes up top here. We've got some baby steps with our newsletter that I just wanted to kind of put out there. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do try to subscribe to the newsletter at unftr.com slash blog, and you will get our sort of, kind of, weekly newsletter. We've fallen a little behind on a couple of days, but that's more reflective of kind of our recording schedule. But we're doing our best to get that out on a weekly basis, but also adding some new features. So just added this week is a new feature called Chart of the Week. So check it out. Those of you that are already subscribed will see it. Those of you who are not subscribed, you can't see it. And there's all sorts of goodness in that letter. And we're going to just keep growing it and growing it over time. Also, we're excited that we have our first video and audio phone a friend coming next week. So that's a big part of our growth strategy for the pod and just for the unfucking network in general. Enhancing the phone a friend presence, reaching out for more collaborations, trying to do more with some really interesting thought leaders, intellectuals, other people in the media space and try to kind of fill out our profile a little bit. The key is going to be to try and do them simultaneously for audio and video. I've got a little bit of a learning curve on the video part of it, but I think it's going to be pretty great. I'm very excited for our very first, I guess, of the next iteration of Phone a Friend that's coming up, and you'll you'll be treated to that hopefully in a week or so. But we're recording it tomorrow, and it's going to be pretty cool. Now, just a quick note on content. We have uh, a couple of comments that I wanted to surface from listeners that I think uh, we need to address, and uh, I certainly need to, to put some color behind. So the first is from uh, Jeff M., who noted in the Facebook group that it seems like the, this is his quote, it seems like the last few months we've gotten twice as many show notes as there have been new content shows. Well, even though it's not twice as much, I think it does uh, kind of stand up that we have been doing fewer long form shows. Part of that is, well, there's a few things behind that. One is 99 and I are unbelievably busy at our day jobs, as we've mentioned before. So because our day jobs do fund the show and that's you know primarily how we we get by, we've had to pay a lot of attention to some some really exciting but very demonstrable changes that are happening on the work front. Simultaneous to that, I've been trying to pull off this socialism series that I feel like is is going to be one of those seminal series by the time it all wraps up and then when we do launch the the entire package of it that should be, you know, a couple hours long, that it really gives people a great under a full first class understanding of the history of socialism and some of the uh, some of the examples of socialism in modern context, uh, specifically the American version and style of socialism, so that we can have more elevated conversations in the future. I always felt like it was first a little bit of a knowledge gap on my side to be able to go back and look at the historical roots of socialist theory, because there's uh, again, we talk about the avenues that came from it. We talk about anarchism. We talk about libertarianism, libertarian socialism and all the different aspects of a theory that seems to be very influential in our lives if it's either being vilified or people talking about, you know, what the opportunity is to move towards, you know, more of a social democratic future. 
I just thought that we needed to do a lot of the groundwork laying if we're going to have better conversations. So it's taking more time to, to produce, but hopefully you're seeing the benefits of that and you're getting uh, you're getting a lot of value out of it. The other thing is we've been making show notes meatier. So instead of just having responses, we've been trying to, if you've noticed, infuse more original content, some more of the headlines, some more of a topical discussion so that the show notes has really kind of turned into a different version of the podcast itself. And we're trying to be, I think, a little more timely and a little more collaborative and responsive with, with respect to that. So it's not just the addendum to the regular show. It can kind of stand on its own as a full podcast. And then there's no question that we're doing, that we're trying to pay attention coming out of where we were, I think, last year. We're trying to pay more attention to quality over quantity. So that's, I mean, that should be, you know, that should be our mantra anyway. We should always look to put out quality information. But I'm really trying to hone in on that from two respects. It's not its not necessarily about producing really meaty, long-form pieces. It's more about actually kind of cutting those down and making them exceptional, making each one exceptional. Plus, bringing and elevating the video packages, the content packages, to the level that you've come to expect in the audio packages. If you look at the original videos that we put out there, they're pretty fucking rough, and they're getting a little bit better each time that we put them out and I'm trying to, you know, again, elevate it. I don't think I'll ever get to the point where until we have a full-time producer uh, on the video side where we'll match the quality of the audio podcast. But I think we're getting there. And my goal is to have the the true core of the unfucking product be simultaneously released in audio and on YouTube as well, because I think it will help us en enhance the learning journey. Some of us are visual learners, some of us are auditory learners, and I think that the whole thing uh, kind of comes together nicely. And the other thing that unfuckers have mentioned to us over the years is that it would be great if we had more phone-a-friends. So doing the phone-a-friends seems easier, but to me it's actually more difficult than, than sitting down researching something, writing something, because I, I'm a writer by nature. I'm not a not an interviewer. And that's a skill unto itself. I was actually having a conversation with our good buddy Bobby McDeed yesterday and talking about the art of interviewing and and how challenging it is to prepare for an interview and pull off a a, a good session with a really quality guest and at the same time listen to their responses so that you can have a conversation rather than a I'm going to ask a question, you give me an answer, and all I'm doing is sitting there preparing for the next question. That in and of itself is an art. It's not something that I'm practiced in, so I'm going to try to get there. All told, by the time we kind of pull all this together and I kind of get my poop in a group here. Get your poop in a group, because that's what we want to do, right? <laughs> we all want our poop in a group. I think that the quality of the brand and the product is going to be much, much better, much higher than it was when we first started. And you're all coming along for the journey. And I thank you for that. So there are areas, though, Jeff, that we simply don't have the bandwidth to master. And two of those uh, that are social media and the other one is live events. You know, we've long talked about the like our desire to like be out there in the public and meet on fuckers in person and have Your live desire. events. My <laughs> desire to do that. Uh, and there there just doesn't seem to be the time or the bandwidth. Like I said, we're we're funding this out of our own pockets uh, predominantly, and, and there's a lot that comes with that, and that means that we have a significant investment of time that doesn't allow us to do other things like participate in social media. And with that, I want to switch gears to the Facebook group. This is the Unfuckers at All Facebook group, and if you're not currently in it, all you have to do is go search for it. Make sure you put the asterisks in Unfuckers, so it's Unfuckers with the asterisks instead of the U. 
et al, E-T space A-L. If you search it and you ask to be uh, join the group, you're going to be greeted by Bob Knudsen, who's one of our, one of the original Unfuckers, longtime listeners out of Wisco, uh, just a, a great fan and friend of the show who curates this group. And he recently did a poll. He said, hey, Unfuckers, how are we doing? More specifically, how are you feeling about our group? This is the first direct poll I've ever tried, so I expect to redo it later. But choose an option or add your own and let me know. Click on all that you feel. Apply. So the options were good overall, needs something. I'm still in this group. Needs more cowbell. Needs more. Needs to be more on topic. And then a couple people added, needs actionable items to smash white Christian nationalism. Appreciate that. Uh, Alex T added needs more dragons, which that makes sense. And uh, Catherine HM added just lemongrass, <laughs> which I love. I don't really know what that refers to, but uh, 1% of you believe that uh, lemongrass is super important to the group. So 58% of the unfuckers at all group said that it's good overall. 3% net said it needs something. 6% were unaware they were still in this group. 17% said it needs more cowbell. Guess what? I got a fever, and the only prescription is more cowbell. Couldn't agree more. 3% said it needs to be more on topic, and then uh, 10% of you said it needs some more actionable items to smash white Christian nationalism. But overall, it seems like everyone is pleased, but I do want to call out uh, one of our great friends, Elena S., who said, they're not present here. The podcast ignores us or just wants us to do our own thing. What we do and say here is not important to Max. Alternatively, much as the case with Facebook, there's not a lot of relevant substance being discussed in this group or any group. The right-wing fuckwits recently really destroyed social media in general at the onset of the pandemic, and we haven't come back from that. I'd like to see UNFTR do something for this group other than sharing content. It could be simple shit too, like what Max or Manny or 99 did for the fourth. Just fucking talk to us. We're a little more than a way to channel more clicks to them, and they need to do better. Wow. Recognize us, dagnammit. I know. It's a bit like a child demanding attention, but if you want to generate likes, upvotes, shares, or whatever, you got to bring something. So, listen, Elena, it's a very fair point. So, initially, and we are here, and we do look at the group, and sometimes we pull comments from it. But initially, we thought it would just be more authentic to let the community roll without the teacher looking in and proctoring the exam. But if the sentiment is universal, I'm very happy to chime in and participate directly. Uh, but most of all, I, I want to know—I want you to know that you know we do see you. We see Maria and Rund, Matthew, Nick, Maria, Dan, Inigo, Eric, Simone, Will. Hold for it. I am William Wallace. Watkins, Tori, Tanya, Taylor, David, Dini, Jim, Lisa, Noel, Charles. Linda, Letitia, Linda, Felicia, Dawn, Lashawn. Inez and Alicia, Teresa, Monica, Sharon, Nikki, uh -huh. Lisa, Veronica, Karen. We see you all. In my old world, the beginning of my career in radio, you would be what we refer to as our P1s, our primary listeners, the people that we wanted to please the most. So using that old radio term to all my unfuckers at all group that, uh, that exist as our P1s, Please know that we do see you. And if you want us to, to jump in there and chime in on some things, happy to do it. Uh, we just don't want to disturb it and we don't want to take away from the authenticity. So I actually had Knudsen make me, make me, make the UNFTR page an admin of the group. So that way, uh, a couple of people had emailed me and they weren't able to find the group on Facebook. So now if you go to our UNFTR Facebook page, like there's 
where it says like posts, pictures maybe, there's one for groups and you can find the group that way. Neat. So that's just an easy way. And because we have admin access, that means Max, you can come in and comment as the UNFTR group or as UNFTR rather. And then- Instead of my government name. Yeah, I'm honestly worried you're gonna dox yourself. <laughs> like I'm gonna lose sleep over this, but if you feel like- Well, the unfuckers also don't know whether or not I'm already in there. It's true could be in there with a different profile pic different name yeah i have legitimate nightmares that i post for my burner my burner facebook it's like it has my first name and then some other variations of my name but so and there's nothing identifying about me but i have nightmares that i post from there instead of the the unftr page speaking so, of that now speaking i have to add you in the mix you know they were able to find the long island serial killer by triangulating his burner phones so I've thrown all mine away. Mm, Just not going to use them anymore. I my uh my burners are on my main phone, so I'm not really doing it right. That's true too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the police have definitely triangulated. I mean, it's only a matter of time before they find all the bodies of the of the dead old white men that you've buried beneath the studio floor. I don't need to bury them. It's just magic. They just go. They just disappear. Yeah. Mm. It's like that and the giant bonfires that you hold pretty much every weekend. Mm -hmm. And you say, it's not important. Don't worry. Look yeah, away. I have some friends in some industries who know how to dispose of some, you know, things. Like uh, like funeral homes, like Ozark, crematories. Sure. You didn't watch Ozark, did you? No. Oh, wow. Sorry, I'm really busy watching Chicago PD. And uh, that's, a, that's <laughs> network television, is it not? <laughs> so you sit through commercials? No, we're watching it. We're watching the old episodes. But do you sit through commercials? A little bit. We have the Peacock plan that has commercials. Oh. oh. I watched eight seasons of Chicago Med, and now we're on season four of Chicago PD. Is everything okay? Um, No, but honestly, I'm living my best life. Me and my roommate, it's all we do. We, I haven't watched it. We're behind on actual show. I mean, I don't watch very much because- Who are the I, stars of this show? Uh, Jason Begay. I, I don't know how to say his last name. He used to be a Scientologist, and he's best friends with David Duchovny. Wait, what's the name of this show again? Chicago Chicago what? PD. Sophia Bush is in it right now. She's about to leave. John Patrick Flugler. Um, I'm looking online. I don't I don't know any of these actors. Chicago Med has more famous people because Oliver Platt's in it. Oh, I love Oliver Platt. Oh, I hate him in the show. Most of the time that, I That's hate how him. good he is. And then Anne Heche is in this show. Not yet. Oh. oh, wait, it, who does she play? I don't know. Uh, Catherine Brennan? No, I don't know her yet. And then uh, someone from Law & Order. I don't know her name, but she was like in Law & Order for a million years. She's in Chicago Med, so she's also like famous. If you Google Sharon Chicago Med, you might recognize her. Chicago Med cast. Okay, let's take a look. Tori Is there DeVito. any crossover? Oh, yes. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. And uh, Oliver Platt should be in everything. That's he my shouldn't. I opinion. fucking hate him. Um, I'm also worried about him. Sometimes he like looks like he's going to die. Oh, yes. Very you know? much. But he has for 30 years. That's but, the thing about yeah. him. Um, Flatliners, anybody? Mm. Come on. It was like, oh, fuck. Some, um, Are you talking about Tori DeVito? Yeah, Tori DeVito, Liberty DeVito's daughter. What? The drummer? Yeah. <laughs> Billy Joel's drummer's daughter's in this show? Yeah. And I don't know about it? Yeah. Thank you. You really are the gateway to all good things. <laughs> um, who? Someone else. I'm trying to think. Goodness gracious. But, oh, Steve from uh, Sex and City, Miranda's husband. Wait, Steve Weber? 
Dr. Dean Archer, the no, guy from Wings? I'm, I see okay, him. Okay, he's my boyfriend. I'm In real life? In the show and in real life. In, okay, in the show, he's this like grumpy curmudgeon, but like, well, he's a softie. In real life, he's like a fucking super progressive liberal. He's like out there fighting for all like marginalized people. Oh, and he's a, he's a big goofball. He has a podcast with the guy from the show with the people. Um, he, oh, he has the he has the podcast from the show with the people. Will and That's Grace, a, the straight oh. one. I don't. I've never seen it. Who's the straight man? Eric. Yes, he has yeah. a podcast with him. Oh, yeah, interesting. Uh, but so I'm obsessed with Doctor Archer's my boyfriend. Okay. So uh, there's definitely more recognizable people in the show. You're yeah. right. Steve from Sex and the City. Miranda's husband. I didn't watch Sex and the City. I hate that show. You know that. Well, whatever. Sorry. We call him Moanda when he comes on screen because he talks like that. He's like, Moanda. That's his voice. So every time, I don't know his firefighter name. I think it's Herman. Wait, Lori Holden from Walking Dead is on this? Who's that? I was wondering. I don't know. She's blonde. What's she her was name? in the uh, first couple seasons, first two seasons of Walking Dead. No, what's her character name? <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't, it actually doesn't say. Mm. She well, does not have a big part. I loved her. Is she kind of look like Renee Zellweger? Yes. Oh, she's um, fuck. What was her name? Oh, you're Doctor Hammer. Doctor Hammer. Yeah. Is she still on the show? Or no, she. She, on she weirdly, off? they brought her on for one season and like wrote her off. Oh. She was nice though. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they all cross over. Billy Joel's drummer is on this show. Come on. Daughter. <laughs> Billy Joel's drummer's daughter. It's and, so cool. Yeah, she's so pretty. No, she is. She's really annoying. We, I mean, <laughs> we, you love to hate her. Like, she basically, she's a super hypocrite. So she'll be like really mad if someone does something wrong. But when she does something wrong, it's like I was doing the right thing. Oh, so she's like you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. And it was okay. always, it's always involving like child protective services. Like, you know, she's always like, I'm not calling them. Like, or I am calling them this time. And it's like because <laughs> she's a mom, so it's all she can be is a mom and only think about children. Um, not in a gross way, Got but it. then. Not in a grooming way? No. Like all those transgender people yeah. out there? Um, but So we Damn haven't it, watched Barbie. Chicago Fire yet. My daughter went to see Barbie, by the way, and she loved it. I know. I'm just afraid to go to the movie theater. I haven't been in years. There's a drive-in in Brooklyn, apparently, that's playing it. So I might do that because it's like outside. Mm. It feels safer. I desperately want to see Oppenheimer in the theater. Apparently, it's really long and kind of boring. <laughs> I've read only the opposite. I don't know. I trust my roommate. <laughs> Oh, she saw it? Yeah. They yeah. did Barbenheimer. Her and our my friend. Who, did they do it in one day? Yeah. Well, then, of course, she thinks it's too long. That's just too much content no, they went in first. one day. They went first. But I think that's just too much, you know, to uh, well, mentally prepare for Well, she went to see Barbie again the day. next day. So. Did she like Barbie? Of course. Yeah? Yeah. Fun. Um, but, yeah, she went with my BFF. I was listening to, oh, God. Uh, oh, it was um, Hassan Piker's show they were talking about uh barbenheimer and uh son piker was like you know nobody talks about men's feelings in all of this because you know you talk about body shaming and you talk about like you know creating the ultimate like you know figure for for girls and it's an unrealistic figure look at ryan gosling that's unattainable. He's in his 40s. I hate him. And he's just he's just like so perfect and beautiful in this movie. It's just anyway, he was no, very I wasn't sure where that was going. I was confused. No, he's a, he's a good hardcore leftist. Okay, I, I thought like him a lot. I was I was like, uh like that's unrealistic. I don't get Ryan Gosling though, just generally. I don't get the whole I just don't get the whole thing. There is no thing. He's just him. He is he's just Ken, but he is just Ryan Gosling. Like he's not putting on a show. I think he's probably like a really normal. He just happens to be hot and talented. Talented? Are we? We're gonna go there? 
Yes. I just, I don't, okay. He's funny. He can be charming. He can be Maybe a it's because I hate La La Land. I did love him in Big Short. Why did you hate La La Land? I just, I, I watched about half of it and I was like, I'm out. This is a, not a good movie. I loved La La Land, except the end. I don't accept the ending. Never saw the end. They don't end up together. I do know that they won Best Picture, except they didn't. Yeah, that was really <laughs> brutal. It was it was brutal for everyone involved. I mean, I didn't see Moonlight, so I don't... Was that the one that won? Yeah. I'm sure it was better. Moonlight stays with you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure it was better, but what a... What a I think it, I don't it, think Moonlight was Best Picture, by the way. Oh, but. so... Yeah, it La La certainly Land. stays with you. La La Land has some good songs. Mm. I, I still listen to the soundtrack every now and again. Okay. Why? Uh, they also did Greatest Showman. Who? The people. Whatever their, what are people? their names? They have a... Also not they a They have like movie. a, you know, like Rodgers and Hammerstein, Kander and Ebb. Like they have a little name for themselves now. Uh, Abbott and Costello. Sure. Duo. I really wanted that movie to be great and I did not like that movie either. Greatest Showman? Yeah. Why? It was amazing. It's not great. What are you talking about? Not great. It had really bad CGI. It's amazing. I love that movie. Had, I can't tell if you're serious. Are you saying it's so so bad it's good? No, it's... Because it's not a good movie. No, it's a good movie. It's not a No, good it's an amazing movie. Oh I can't It I has can't really good stomping. What? Stomping. They stomp a lot when they're dancing and it has yeah. really good stomps. Did you ever see Stomp? No, but I did see a guy on... Uh, one of the dating apps, and he was a drummer at Stomp. And I swiped on, I swiped right just because I was like, he he works at Stomp. I have to swipe on him. Right is I want to talk to you. Yeah. Okay. I got I got to know more. Okay. I don't know if we matched. I haven't checked. Oh, okay. But yeah, just oh, funny you bring up Stomp. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, I, I used to live like three blocks from Stomp, Could so you hear it, it was like a thing that <laughs> we would do in the early nineties. I can't believe how long it's been around, and I wonder if they've changed it up. I'm sorry, it's you, actually a lot of fun. You used to just like go to Stomp. Yeah, it was like going to the movies. So it's because people would come into town, and they'd be like, "What do you want to do?" And he'd be like, "All right, let me go see Stomp or something," because it, you know, and then and then just go drink, you know, like you know yeah, what I mean? Because sure. it was a tourist attraction. I know that's why it's funny. Yeah. It's like take them to the Blue Man Group. Never saw the Blue Man Group though. Me either. Yeah. They're not actually blue. It's all a lie. What? Um. David Cross as Blue Man in Arrested <laughs> yeah. Development just ruined the whole thing for me anyway. So, All right, let's get into headlines. We've got three pretty pointed headlines for you. The first is Leonard Leo calling the progressive movement the Ku Klux Klan. How did that happen, you say? Well, The Lever this week, that's David Sirota's publication, reported that actually some of the team members from The Lever went to activist Leonard Leo's summer vacation home in Maine. And uh, it turns out in Maine, he purchased this historical church through a nonprofit. Now, Leonard Leo, as you might remember, is the head of the Federalist Society. He's the one who is most responsible for transforming the Supreme Court. And I, I want to say that Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Amy Comey Barrett specifically are his inventions. And... Mm, but he's been at work with the Federalist Society for, I think, uh, for, for decades. Anyway, so they went to Maine and found, because he had purchased this church, so he is a devout Jesuit Catholic and wants to impose sort of his view in this little small, sleepy, but very wealthy community in Maine and uh, said this when people were protesting outside the church, quote, Catholicism faces vile and immoral current day barbarians, secularists, and bigots, 
ranting about woke ideologies and the, quote, progressive Ku Klux Klan. He continued, if you happen to be a particularly prominent Christian, they intimidate and harass you outside your home and in restaurants and stores with the express purpose of driving you into social and professional exile, end quote. This is one of those, you know, cancel culture claims, but coming from the far right evangelical strain of the Republican Party where they say, oh, you're trying to cancel me. And then they took photographs of all of the uh, people who are protesting outside of the church and not being ageist here, but they were mostly women in their 70s that were, you know, just quietly sitting across the street with a bunch of signs and maybe there were 15 of them. So these are the people that are canceling Leonard Leo and making it hard for him to get by mm. with a vacation home and a home and a nonprofit and a $1.6 billion donation from a single donor. I mean, I would love to be canceled to that degree. That would be that would be kind of amazing. But it just goes to show you that this talking point is just so fucking tired from the conservatives. But I can say that anyone looking to take a summer trip can join this progressive Ku Klux Klan standing outside of his uh, brand new, newly purchased church. And um, you can also bring the kids, you know, you could pack a snack. And I would also recommend, though, bringing a toothbrush because now he's having them arrested and mm. infringing upon their First Amendment rights because his rights supersede their First Amendment rights because we know that he is redoing the Constitution through the auspices of the uh, Supreme Court. So this is our emperor in charge behind the scenes that uh, is just having his way with it. And now he's uh, with the country and now he's uh, going to take over religion too. Yay. Fun stuff. That's good. I think this is progress. This is what they mean by progressive, right? I think so. Moving in the right direction. Absolutely. The right direction. <laughs> and to the right and backwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now we have a Kind of a, a weird story that's going to play into a topical cream that we have coming up. This is very specific to New York State, but in so much as New York State is still one of the driving economic engines of the national economy and contributes a shit ton of money back into the welfare state that props up all of the poor rural red states in this country, I think it's important to take a look at the state of our state. So with pandemic era relief coming to an end, Medicaid reshuffling may be slower than certain states expecting. And in our state in particular, high net worth individuals moving out of New York. In fact, they moved out of New York in 2020 at a rate four times the average that they had prior to 2020. We're in a little bit of a pickle. So we've got spending that's gone up and revenue coming down because the a lot of the way that we fund the state programs is through the income tax, not just the wage taxes, but the capital gains tax and a lot of the uh, the higher income taxes that we have on the high net worth individuals here. So think about estate taxes and all those kind of things. So with the wealthy taking flight and going, you know, leaving their businesses here, but moving their residences to other states and extracting funds from New York through, you know, of course, the things that they own, but then, you know, domiciling in other states, they're robbing the coffers of New York state. And we have an enormous budget gap that looks to vastly and dramatically exceed in the out years what we put away in rainy day funds, as far as I can tell, by maybe fivefold if we just leave everything on the current trajectory. So we're going to have to change some things up. So this is from the controller's report. This is from New York State Controller Tom DiNapoli. DiNapoli's 2022 report on taxpayer migration showed that from 2015 to 19, a net average of 28,000 personal income taxpayers moved out of New York annually many of whom were high-income residents in 2020, a net of 112,000 taxpayers moved out, nearly four times as many 
in 2019. So the wealthy taking flight, leaving all their bullshit behind, taking their money with them and going to other parts of the country. Fuck you. Okay. Next up, we've got the Supreme Court. And this one is directly square in 99's wheelhouse. Supreme Court is going to hear some arguments in October, getting ready to roll back the rights of another marginalized group, this time disabled Americans. So they went after affirmative action, bodily autonomy for women. Now they have to go after the disabled population. So in October, this radical Supreme Court is going to hear arguments that imperil the future of the Americans with Disabilities Act which is, by the way, one of the most successful bipartisan pieces of very necessary legislation in modern American history. And why? Because fuck everybody. That's just what they, that's the mantra of this Supreme Court. If you were previously marginalized and gained some sort of right in, a, in order to be able to participate in the American economy or just, you know, culture and life in general and make things a little bit easier for you, they would like to take that away. So they're doing it with a by hearing a case that involves a, a, a hotel and a plaintiff and, a, and, a, and somebody who, as an activist for uh, disabled Americans, launches lawsuits, ADA lawsuits against non-compliant physical properties throughout the country. So what this hotel group is saying is that this person did not try to stay at one of their hotels, and therefore this person does not have standing to bring these claims. What's so dangerous about this is that this Supreme Court is textualist and fundamentalist and by the letter of the law when it suits them for their political agenda. So they may indeed look at this and say, listen, we're going to leave the ADA 100% intact. Don't worry about anything. But we do agree that if you don't have standing in this claim, that you can't actually take a lawsuit to court. Now, the problem with that is, as the, one of the attorneys for the uh, defendant in this particular case said, nobody complies with the Americans with Disabilities Act until they're sued. Mm -hmm. So that's how they were able to actually get mass compliance in the country. So what you'll see is this particular activist will go out and launch a lawsuit against a property, but they might have done it against 500 properties. If they're going to go against Hilton Hotels or Marriott Hotels, or in this case, Atchison Hotels, they're going to do it against all of them. And so what they're what they're attacking is a very narrow thing of standing to say, well, if you didn't actually try to stay at all 500 hotels, then in fact, you are not injured and therefore you don't have standing. So now you have to imagine that, okay, so, so somebody who has a disability is going to have to try and walk up the stairs of a building or go into a building that doesn't have uh, visual fire alarms instead of, you know, just the auditory fire alarms. Like if you think about all the different ways that you have to comply as a public property that takes in the public with the Americans with Disabilities Act, you are now, now somebody is specifically going to have to show that they had a problem being in that physical space themselves in order to show standing in this lawsuit. This will literally throw out 99% of all ADA lawsuits brought against properties. This is the ultimate fuck you to the, the disabled community and the ultimate gift to the construction and real estate industry that would then have a lot of the wind taken out of the sales of the ADA. Two things. Yeah. Today is the 33rd anniversary of the signing. So the day we're recording, July 26th. So, and it was signed by... 
a Republican president. So it's not even like it was this liberal thing. I mean, we had to have people literally crawling up the stairs of the Capitol to get it passed. But the thing that, I mean, I haven't looked into this uh, as deeply as you, but when you said standing, the thing that triggered for me was, are they going to try and claim that? Like, not even from a, you haven't visited all of our properties, so you can't bring this lawsuit, but from a, you have to prove that you're disabled perspective. So there's a lot of people out there who have more or less self-diagnosed, but like very real issues, you know, like long COVID, let's say for an example, uh, they did add it to the list. So it's it's um, recognized, but like maybe you've been short of breath since you had COVID and you have long COVID, but you haven't been formally diagnosed by a doctor. Like if there wasn't, let's say an elevator and you had to take the stairs instead and you couldn't get up them because you were too winded, if you tried to sue them, they could say, you don't have a diagnosis, show us your diagnosis. So from that perspective of, of that type of standing, so just being like, you don't have the grounds to sue us because you're quote unquote not disabled. So I'd have to read the entire complaint, which we've actually listed here to see if they're going to even go into go into that specifically. I mean, more like if this as precedent, absolutely. you know, like maybe not with this specific case, but, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if this wins, mm-hmm. it's so easy to assume that the next time a suit comes up, the precedent's going to be like, well, you know, yeah, but you're not even disabled. So you'll have no gr-. like. Yeah, ugh. I imagine that that is already a quandary right um, now in terms of uh, because you still have to demonstrate standing what they're what they're going to say is that. You have to actually demonstrate that physical standing. So that same person that you're talking about that is unable to do that. Or hasn't done it. Would have a viable case, theoretically, if they were somehow injured specifically at a particular property. What that person wouldn't be able to do as an outcropping of this particular decision, if they decide to go a different way with it, is that person wouldn't then be able to say, and by the way, every hotel without an elevator is going to present a problem. Right. So I think that's going to be the most direct uh, correlation. I don't know that this particular decision will impact anybody's, any invisible disability or self-diagnosed disability in terms of proving their standing, because I think that person would have to go through the same burden of proof, even if nothing changed right now. Know what I mean? Yeah. I just think it opens a can of worms. Absolutely. Yeah. And and a lot of times with these cases, it's very difficult. Sometimes, the you know, you have groups like the ACLU that are able to actually forecast and predict all the different ways that uh, some of the, the laws that are related to this and the cases that have been joined to this will be impacted. This is one of those things where I'm, I assume that the... Certainly the ACLU, but also what what are some of the big disability activist organizations out there? You know what? There's so many that I like I, I don't know who I would consider like the one, if I'm being honest. I imagine that there's gonna be a lot of literature published between here and there between here and when the case is actually argued in front of the court, and that a lot of the um, arguments submitted in support of it will have exactly what you're talking about of like if you do this, then these ten things are gonna happen. So that's something that I think we need to keep our eye on. But it's something on fuckers well, I have ninety nine to remind me to take to take that up when the time comes. Because I think it's going to be really interesting, just like we did in in, Pat, in affirmative action and we did with the uh, the native adoption case, to really listen closely to the oral arguments to hear what the justices are keying in on, because that usually gives you an idea of, of kind of like what they're predisposed to think about this. 
it just on the surface, and this is one of those things that you re you you really can't predict what this court is going to do about anything because I was so dead wrong. I, we were right on affirmative action, but it was dead wrong on the native adoption case. This might fall under that category where even even the Supreme Court is not this disgusting. It may fall there. I don't know, but you have to imagine that like if it's if they have the ability to keep the core of the ADA intact but just take this very narrow approach that they can consider textualist and logical that they would basically achieve the same result. Yeah, I think the interesting thing to me about disability activism is like so on the left, I mean, not saying everyone cares about it, but like it, by definition of left and progressivism, like we should care and we should be supporting our fellow Americans with disabilities. So like it's a cause we care about. But disability doesn't have, you know, you can be disabled and be Republican. You can be born disabled into a Republican family. It doesn't right. automatically make you liberal or Democratic. So there is a weird intersection because mm -hmm. like you'll see uh, Candace Owens, you know, she's always trying to fucking push the boundaries. So like, I think it was Kim Kardashian's shapewear line. They had like models in wheelchairs and, and she was trying to call it like woke. And even like people on, you know, people on the right are coming out like, it's not woke. Like these are just bodies. Like these Greg, are just Greg Abbott's like, I'd, I'd like a word, you know? <laughs> it's just exactly. So it's like people, you know, even when these people try to bring up, oh, this inclusion, this inclusivity, it's woke, it's whatever, it's left-wing bullshit. There are people on the right, in the, people on the right, in the middle, whatever, who are like, actually, no, because people are born looking this way yep. and or people become disabled or whatever the case is. Like, doesn't mean it's just, it's just existence. So it could be a case where, similar to that of where they're like all right well these are just people these can be our constituents as well it's not like we're only catering you know because right. what for whatever reason whatever reason wanting equal rights for black people is woke you know what i mean like mm -hmm. that's crazy mm -hmm. i'm sorry that's bananas that's a woke issue but like this is like well actually maybe we can we can chill so i don't know so the other side of that the the thing i guess the thing that worries me with respect to that is that the disabled community, even with their supporters being totally bipartisan, this just not being a partisan issue. The other side of this equation, as this case lays out, is is the moneyed class. Yeah. The people that actually own the real estate. Because what this is going to do, the ADA lawsuits really impact the real estate community predominantly. Because those are the people that are actually asked to cure yeah. And most of the issues that we associate with inaccessibility of physical premises. Now, the ADA has been a, has been adapted and expanded to include a whole host of issues and, and a whole range of issues from, you know, being able to interact with service organizations from, uh, you know, in part of the world that 99 and I live in, even being able to port some of these issues over into the digital realm. So the ADA is actually quite expansive. But the hardcore out-of-pocket costs that most people associate with this I can are, are in the real estate world. And I can see a lot of money being, being poured into letters of support that get appended to this case that are all coming from the real estate lobby. It's just ridiculous because it's the right, num number one, it's the right thing to do. Make your buildings accessible, period. Then if you keep going, like, there are, I think, what is the stat? 
one in four Americans has a disability. Mm-hmm. So you are alienating a quarter of the population if you don't. This is where we can talk about the Republican stance on disability shaming, though. Like, oh, don't tell me about your mental disability that's, you know, undiagnosed or whatever. And True. So that's where, you know, even, even here there's fuckery. Yeah. But even from, so like, so we've got, we've got the moral argument, we've got the business case. And then from a marketing perspective, if I have to, if I have to look at it 360, how much of a marketing, a good marketing benefit would it be to be like, we are the first in the hotel industry to make our hotels a hundred percent accessible. Figure out what Which that I'm means. Which I'm sure somebody's done, right? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, there are definitely, there's a, I think there's an app that actually, or a, a website that you can like look at, they rate different hotels mm-hmm. for accessibility. So if you think about it, I don't think I've ever seen a hotel that has like accessible way to get into the pool. So like, is that a hundred percent accessible? You know what I mean? It's an, it's nuanced. Like, I don't think you can. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying that broad strokes, but like, obviously there's going to be things here and there, but like, be that person. Do it for the right reason. Also, be like, hey, this will look really good for us if we do this. I mean, it, it's just so stupid. Can we talk about how disgusting hotel pools are? For oh yeah, a I would never. Yeah. I mean, I obviously as a kid, happen. I did. You know, you don't think about it. All pools that aren't private yeah. at this point. Yeah. Like, I'm basically only going in one pool, and it's my best friend's pool because I know I know who's in there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's just gross. But it's it's just so easy, like. It's access. It's just basic access. Like, can I stay here? Can I stay here? It, and it's not just, you know, we always, we automatically assume, I said people in wheelchair. We we assume that. But there are so many, the, the spectrum of disabilities, like, does the hotel have a sensory room for autistic children? Like, why don't you build that? How hard is that for you to build? Take one of your fucking 50 gross conference rooms, turn into a sensory room. Like, there are so many things that we can do to accommodate people that, that make good business sense. Yeah, exactly. And are just the right thing to do. So it's just so it's so frustrating to see. It feels I said something when we were I can't remember what we were talking about when I said, like, I can understand why because of the, the religious aspect, I can under quote unquote understand why they would try to repeal Roe v. Wade. Like I can get that. Mm-hmm. But like so here, I don't I can't understand the, the sense of why they would want to fuck with like it doesn't seem to align with their agenda other than capitalism yes and other than capitalism but that's just like that's that's not your job you're not the fucking bank Mm -hmm. (laughs) like like, what Mm -hmm. what do you care i think it's worrying though no it is i think that this is troubling absolutely even the fact that it's on the table you know even if it doesn't go through i should look into what the decision was that brought it here to like where the case actually currently stands because that's the other thing is like depending upon when they decide why they decided to bring it up means that somebody's in the lead right now. Right. right. Somebody's got the hot hand going up to it and they're either looking to overturn it or they're looking to uphold it. Well, I, I would imagine it that it would be the defendant trying to appeal it to the higher court because if it was the hotels, they would have given up. They would have been like, all right, we won. Like they're not going to appeal it to a higher court if they're in the lead. Right. So it's the defendant who's being yeah. like, actually, I think this is a bigger issue. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. All right. So those are your headlines. We've got New York State in trouble. Leonard Leo calling the progressives the Ku Klux Klan and the Supreme Court getting ready to potentially roll back the rights of the disabled population in America. And Greg Gutfeld saying something about how Jews survived in the Holocaust because they were useful. Greg Gutfeld is um, beating every other late night talk show. He said it on what is it called? The Five? 
Yeah. Yeah. Is anybody else concerned about Greg Gutfeld leading the pack he had of late night television? So many Super Bowl commercials. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. Every other commercial was a Gutfeld commercial. Yeah. And but Jesse yeah. Waters replacing Tucker pretty much. You we know, didn't talk about his mom. On. His mom's like, Jesse's so proud of you. Stop being shitty. I'm a queen. Queen behavior. <laughs> and not letting him shut the segment down nope. either. And he's like, oh. Yeah. yeah. What did he think was going to happen? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And she was so prepared. She had that script ready to, to ready to we go. We should get her on the show. Yeah. yeah. This is Waters. Yeah. Where you went wrong. Yeah. He's another example of if I had a time machine. Well, she birthed a white child, a white boy. And that's where she went wrong. Hey. Like, what? He's hey. a white man in America. Statistically. So am I. <laughs> yeah. Am I that bad? No, thankfully, but I wonder statistically, you know, how many of y'all... Yeah, we do kind of suck. Yeah. It's on brand for me. What do you expect? It's okay. All right, so why don't we get into emails and talk about some general feedback. Our first one is from Joseph F. Yeah, so Joseph says, Hello, I recently discovered your YouTube series. I really enjoy it. I think your videos are well presented and informative. I had some suggestions for the dumb right-wing tropes series. Examples being globalism slash socialism and the accompanying fear-mongering use of the word agenda. I'm assuming this is tongue-in-cheek, but given our disability conversation, I wish we had a better word, but quote eco-tards and quote envirotards, so similar to a libtard, quote-unquote, moral decline and liberal mainstream media, so. Yeah, I like those. Liberal mainstream media, that's that's pretty straightforward. Uh, anything tarred, I think, is uh, is a good one to go after. You didn't have to go so... It was very sharp <laughs> the way you said it. Sorry. <laughs> um, Gave it a hard D. <laughs> and uh, socialist fear Yeah, globalist. Globalist is a good one, too. Globalist is a good one, too. I mean, these are the, these are the capitalists that were yearning for a global market economy. And now that they've got it, they call every progressive person a globalist. I, I, don't, I actually don't understand that shade. Like, I legitimately don't get it. Like, it feels like, a, I don't know, when I hear it, I feel like people are always, you know, it's like in a list of people be like, the global Zionist socialist agenda. Like, they like list a bunch of words that don't make sense together. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's always used in reference to like a George Soros instead of all of the other. Or I, I think globalist has some anti Semitic connotations to it because sure not, it, it goes, I think it's, I think its roots are in. The Jewish banking trope, uh, you know, the Rothschilds and and who who really controls the world, the Illuminati kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think it's there, but I I don't know specifically. It's actually a really good one to look into. So Joseph, thank you for those suggestions. It's like um, crypto Jew. Have you heard of that? It's a it's a secret Jew. I think it's like suppo- I feel like you would say it in there. You'd be like a crypto globalist, crypto Jew Zionist. Interest. Well, I hear crypto fascist a lot. Yeah, right? but crypto Jews a thing too. Interesting. Mm-hmm. God, do you guys have to take everything? <laughs> I don't think it's. Us I mean, you doing couldn't it. leave crypto to the fascists. You had to take it too. <laughs> yeah. Man, We're, we actually took all the crypto. Period. <laughs> because you know we run the banks. Uh, mid in Kentucky. Would you say mid or mid? Mid. Yeah, mid. mid said, I was listening to the show notes for episode 99, cool, and hearing 99, cooler, talking about phrasing and parents reminded me yet again of Mr. Rogers. He had specific steps for talking with little kids and they involved taking away the many assumptions we make when speaking or writing for an audience we may not know quite as well as we think we do. Meeting people where they are is important after all. Here's a link in case you're not familiar with the steps. 
Uh, so this is great. So we do have a link to Mr. Rogers' simple set of rules for talking to children. Yeah. And it was pretty sweet. I thought it was a good reference. Uh, this next one is for Manny. So I'll read it. And then Manny, if you can punch in here with your answer. So Video Eng Alex said, I'm curious as to your thoughts on Dr. West's answers to your particularly well thought out and formulated question during the interview you posted. I'm not sure which question, but I feel like Manny will probably know. Oh, um, I think that was actually for me. That was the question that I submitted to the Newsbeat oh, crew because Manny gave me a heads up. Ahead of I time. got it. Yeah. Oh, okay. So never mind. Manny, you can shut up. Uh, well, you can certainly add some color to sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Uh, he continued, I felt like he wasn't able to answer that question in a manner that met the thoughtfulness with which it was written. Just my opinion, but I'm curious about yours. Yeah, Video Edge Alex. So my take on that was that he punted on the answer uh, pretty artfully. And he was able to do that actually a few times in the interview. And he's able to do that quite often in most interviews, unless you really tweak him. See his most recent exchange with Anderson Cooper as an example. Oh, no. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think he artfully dodged that particular question. Artful dodger. The artful dodger. That's right. Um and, you know, and the question like what. So if I was conducting the interview and maybe we'll be lucky enough to have him on on, on fucking the Republic, that would we press the issue maybe further, perhaps? And uh, news, the Newsbeat crew had uh, different questions that they were able to press him on and a short amount of time to get questions from four people in there. If you throw me into the mix. So we're t- the, and the question was about third party candidates in general, not as a spoiler, because that's sort of like the, the low hanging fruit, simple uh, question to go with, but more so uh, about the effectiveness and what what is it basically going into it, knowing you are not going to win, which he knows. So saying the quiet part out loud and then saying, so what what do you want to surface the most by this third party candidacy that you wouldn't be able to do? like what Bernie did by by running on the Democratic line rather than as an independent. Because any third-party candidacy is folly in this country as it's currently constructed. So again, I'm not making an argument against third parties or even making the spoiler argument. I'm saying that it's a fait accompli that you won't be victorious. So typically the third-party candidates are out there trying to raise awareness about a specific set of policies that just aren't reflected in the two major parties. And that's what I was trying to drive at. And instead, he just talked about uh, more so uh, the state of our democracy, getting rid of the uh, the two-party system in general, being able to kind of blow up those norms and, and, and bring light to, to a bunch of other issues, but not saying specifically which ones it was. So I would love to hear more about it. And like I said, that is something, that's an area that we would press him on more fully. And Manny, if you have any color on that, please feel free. Yeah, Max, I think you laid it out pretty well. Uh, Listen, if y'all have more questions along those lines, make sure you're subscribing to the Newsbeat podcast, wherever you find podcasts like this one. We'll be doing a roundtable discussion. Uh, Myself, my uh, journalist colleagues, uh, Rashed Mian and Christopher Taworski, who interviewed Dr. Cornell West. And we're going to be shooting the ish. Wait, I could say that. Shooting the shit, (laughs) because it's the unfucking podcast. I could do that. About that interview. So subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, Newsbeat. That's two words, Newsbeat. Uh, and also our uh, YouTube page as well. You can find out all that information at usnewsbeat.com. We're going to have a follow-up and we'll talk a little bit more about it. Your point is very well taken. Thank you. So now let's move over to Facebook. We've got Knutson leading us off with a reaction to the Socialism Part 3 episode. 
He said, quote, I listened to the episode shortly after they drop, except for the multiple part series combined episodes. Those I usually either skip or leave in the background. This socialism series has me looking forward to the parts put into a whole and listening intently to the whole works. Thanks for doing this so thoroughly, yet somehow concise. Awesome. I'm actually excited for that too. And uh, the challenge that I present to the team is that it's not just putting those all together because we have a preamble and then we have post-show musings and then we've got some references that that happen to kind of like refresh your memory on prior episodes that happened within it. So we actually do small rewrites and then we eliminate a lot of the introductions to each episode in order to put them together. So for, you know, Manny's purposes and then for 99's purposes of putting it out there into the world, it's actually a lot of work. So I just want to acknowledge that, that it's not just as simple as like smashing a bunch of episodes together. And I too am looking forward to kind of seeing it all laid out in, in chapter form in one big show. So thank you for acknowledging that, Knudsen. Yeah, Dan PM kind of echoes that and said, what a cliffhanger. I was mentally shouting, no, no, you can't stop here at the end. Looking forward to all these being strung together in a simple, epic 83 hour long saga, <laughs> which is true. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll be quite long. That's, the, the last one was actually a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. We really kind of hammered through that one pretty quickly. I cannot say the same for part four. <laughs> See, I actually, it's interesting, like, I, I intended to get through all of Prudhomme and Bakunin and bring us right up to the Paris Commune in part three. And then realized that Prudhomme and Bakunin were more of a, uh, were a better bridge to the Praxis period and in many cases are more enduring as practical philosophers than Marx was or, or will ever be. And that they kind of had a foot in both areas. And you can't get to the Paris Commune without talking about 1870. So we're actually going to spend a lot of time in 1870, which I'm excited for. And I found some uh, some good scholarly research to back up this idea that 1870 is a, is, is a huge pivot point the world in how things developed and you see the roots of not only world war ii but world war world war one rather but world war ii in the events that transpired in 1870 so it's it's actually a really fascinating year so it felt like it was way too much to to accomplish in in part three so we're going to do that in part four and then uh spend some time from over the next half century that brings us up into the russian revolution uh, but that's why this one's going to be a bit longer. And my goal with part four is to is to really finish up the roots of European socialism as defined by that period from Bentham and Beccaria all the way to the Russian Revolution. Then we're going to go across the pond and talk about the American experience because that enables us to really pick up at the turn of the 20th century what was occurring in the United States somewhat in response to the burgeoning socialist political theories on the ground that were taking shape in Europe, but through the very American experience of the rise of the labor movement in the United States, all obviously culminating in um, what would ultimately be the Great Depression. So that's the period of American socialism. We're going to talk about that kind of generally over about a half century, if we think about coming into the 20th century and then basically finishing up by World War II when I think we can officially pronounce any like audaciously open socialist movement pretty much dead at the end of World War II and until we pick it back up again, arguably with Bernie Sanders. So 
Uh, but that's that's you know for the epilogue to the series. So the way it's going to roll out is part four is going to going to finish up our uh, experience in in Europe. Part five is going to be the American experience purely, and then part six is going to be a long epilogue as we talk about how this translated into what transpired uh, after the revolution in China and how the, they grew there. The experiences briefly through South America, some of the some of it the, that expanded through the African continent, and then kind of different modern theories and ways that theoretically this can go going forward. So that will that's basically going to bring us through, I think, midway through August, if not all the way through August. So that that's kind of where we've decided to spend almost half this year. Pretty, pretty amazing. Anyway, lastly, we got Aaron E. It's amazing the struggles humanity went through to make life less awful. And now we have half of the U.S. voters wanting to unravel it all. Now, moving over to YouTube quickly, we've got a couple of uh, things here. Uh, the first is a, is, a, is a response to our Assange episode that we republished uh, both on the podcast, but also on YouTube. And then another one just talking about an old video that we did in an old podcast that we did talking about Friedman and Keynes. So the first is Paul Hicks, 3595, said, You have no idea how many Australians, normally fairly sanguine and quite favorable to America, are in absolute white-hot rage over the outrageous mistreatment of Assange. While Australia has been the U.S.'s most constant ally since World War II, if Assange is extradited and tried there, will be the largest anti-U.S. reaction Australia has ever seen and will have huge political fallout. I wanted to, to, to surface this particular one because there were a number of Australians that actually weighed in on the Assange episode on YouTube specifically. Uh, so this seems to be a sentiment that's held. I don't know if it's widely held, but certainly those that interacted with it uh, from down under were pretty clear about their feelings on, on Assange. Now, Salvador left a pretty detailed comment and a great comment on one of our earliest YouTube episodes about uh, Milton Friedman versus John Maynard Keynes. Now, I want to say in advance that it's one of my least favorite YouTube episodes. Uh, it's when I was experimenting with more of a short form format and trying to just lay down some really basic topics that kind of explained the podcast. And it's not very good. It talks very generally, and a, and a few of the comments on there speak to that. It's like you, you sort of make a lot of declarations with not a lot of evidence here, and I couldn't agree more. So it's probably something that I'm going to revisit with a better, more thorough episode to talk about the distinction between two. Uh, but here's what Salt Fedor had to say. That episode in particular was a misunderstanding of Friedman. Friedman had Keynesian premises, but had criticisms of the model, which would ultimately turned out to be correct and adopted. Number one, nominal interest rates are not the correct indicator for the stance of monetary policy. Number two, fiscal policy, especially taxation, is not a good tool to reduce aggregate demand. Number three, in the long run, the Phillips curve breaks down. Wage price controls are not a good tool to address inflation. Number four, he was very much in favor of printing money to address aggregate demand, and he thought monetary policy was more powerful than originally believed, which was also correct. So a couple of points here. The Phillips curve does tend to break down, but in like 50-year increments. So if you look at the stagflation period in the 1970s, which we've covered in detail during the Carter years and also in separate episodes, that was about a five or six-year period that resulted from Nixon pulling us off the gold standard and the dual oil shocks from the Middle East, first from the uh, Arab embargo and second from the Iranian revolution. 
And that's what created stagflation. That's what made that's what inverted the Phillips curve and made it look like it was no longer uh, a practical theory that could be relied upon. And then for the next 50 years after that, it actually resumed and was was an effective uh, reflection of the economy, at least. So the Phillips curve talks about the correlation between inflation and employment, and it is pretty accurate over long periods of time where it unravels is during periods of unusual and significant shocks like we just talked about in the 70s. And then, oh, by the way, a pandemic, a global pandemic, a global pandemic that tanked every single economy for into depression territory for a period of about three months and then immediately reverted back. But we've been having trouble reverting back to the norm with respect to the Phillips curve. But for, you know, most of its existence as at least as a reflection of the of the overall path and trajectory of uh, economic indicators, it's a pretty useful tool. Now, there's no single tool out there. There's no single indicator where you can just say, this is the one that reflects the economy globally most accurately because things are always changing, circumstances are changing, and models need to be adapted and, and adopted over time. Nominal interest rates not being the correct indicator for the stance of monetary policy. I'd have to dig deeper into that and understand the distinction there. I don't think, I don't recall making that claim in the video. And if this is one of the core sticking points between Friedman and Keynes, then I'd have to dig deeper into that just as a blanket statement. Okay. I'll, I'll, I, I mean, I, I can, I can acquiesce to this, to this idea generally. Uh, but again, it's a little more nuanced. Fiscal policy, especially taxation, is not a good tool to reduce aggregate demand. I think that is patently untrue, and I don't think that Friedman turned out to be correct on his stance about fiscal interventions into uh, the economy. And Friedman being very much in favor of printing money to address aggregate demand, and he thought monetary policy was more powerful than originally believed, which was also correct. Um, yes, he, over time, he certainly believed in, in the power of monetary policy, but I don't necessarily see that he he thought it as a good thing. In fact, I think that he was against pretty much all interventions, whether fiscal or monetary. And and I can't, I really have to go back and revisit his text to talk about, you know, his stance on printing money. So if you have something, Saltvador, that you can send to me where you see in wholesale terms, Friedman advocating for printing money, to address demand, that would be kind of interesting for me. But I will do my work and go back and research that. And that's all we have for this week, my friends. Um, so we'll leave it off with uh, thanking everybody for donations. 99, what do we have? Yeah, Chris S. bought four coffees and said a coffee for Max, 99, and Manny, even one for Mo for Tom, for mom. Oh, I called Tom mom. Do you think I like that? And then he said, sucking on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze. Sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. There you have it. Needless to say, we rely on your support. We need your support. So make sure to, uh, if you can, and you can see your way clear to taking a membership, please do so. All the free stuff that you can do, you can check out our YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to that. Give us a like on there as well. That's always very helpful. Five-star ratings for the podcast. Always very helpful, totally free, just takes a second of your time. And uh, something else that takes just a second of your time and also is a nice free benefit is to subscribe to the newsletter at unftr.com slash blog. That's it for now. I'm on vacation for the next couple of weeks, but we do have a lot of content, hopefully in the hopper to be able to drop, so it should be seamless, but there might be a little bit of a 
little bit of a hiccup in there, but uh, it does mean that you will probably be treated to a maxless show notes, which is uh, an annual event that I look forward to where you just hear from 99 and Manny. Other than that, I think we got it all. Yeah. All right. Okay. We'll catch you when we catch you. Two American kids sucking on a chili dog. Nice.